0: Hey, what you watching?
1: Got a problem with cartoons?
0: Welcome to another episode of Cartoon Night in Canada, a nostalgia journey to dig through decades of animation to find the good, the bad, and the just plain weird of Canadian cartoons. I'm your co-host, Chris Lucy Antonio.
1: And I'm your co-host, Sylvie Kettles.
0: And Sylvie, do you think that they know that we are weebs?
1: What? No. No. Do you think
0: over the course of the several conversations we've had while recording episodes, it's become quite apparent that we are both real down bad anime nerds?
1: You mean the conversations where one or both of us mentioned some like bit of obscure anime information that really has very little to do with the episode, but is just for literally no reason. Like apropos of nothing. We just want you to know that we know this. I don't think so. I don't think they've figured it out.
0: Well, good, because this will come as a huge surprise is that this is not a regular episode of Cartoon Night in Canada that we're doing today. (gasps) Uh, I know how shocking I believe that both myself and Sylvie think that it's important to offer you the most complete picture of Canadian animation possible.
1: Includes things that were not animated in Canada or for a Canadian audience.
0: Now, I know a running joke on that is like, uh, you know, technically Canadian, as we say, whenever a show is somewhat produced in Canada and somewhat produced in another country. But rather than a co-production... We're talking more about a very extensive process of licensing, internationalization, and dubbing. So, yes, with this, we want to, in in our efforts to provide you the entire landscape of Canadian animation, as we have collected it in our nostalgic memory, we want to talk about Canadian-produced dubs of anime
1: and what better place to start with the one called she is the one named Sailor moon she is the one Sailor moon
0: so let's get into a little bit of the background now cuz so as as you can see by the episode title this is a th- this is going to be a side series called Canada moving forward wherein we pick an anime series that had a very notable uh dub that was produced by a Canadian company and kind of talk about that uh what's kind of talk about that uh weird in between space of translation and transition that happens to these series when they are repackaged so to speak for a Canadian audience because with a lot of the ones we're going to be talking about this was this was the era wherein anime was not the priority it was in terms of introducing it to a new audience.
1: Yeah, we were talking about this earlier, like just right before starting recording, how I am of the belief that it cannot, be un- it cannot be overstated how much the English dub of Cowboy Bebop fundamentally changed the groundwork for English dubs in North America. And so Sailor Moon falls neatly into the pre-Cowboy Bebop era of Like people who didn't have all the acting and directing and engineering experience with specifically anime, they had the experience in other venues, just being thrown a project and going, I don't know, make it.
0: Yeah, we're talking about an era that is just before the what has become known as the big two thousands or like you know late nineties, early two thousands anime boom of television animation, and wherein a lot of producers and distributors in the West noticed this hot commodity that is anime and en masse bought as much of that product as they could and hastily repackaged it as quickly and as inefficiently as possible for Western audiences. And so in the process of of this side series, we'll be going over a lot of series that kind of had that fate befall upon them, uh, a lot of shows, wherein in order to satiate the growing lust of Western audiences for anime, a lot of corners were cut, a lot of a, a lot of techniques were used in order to make it as quick and efficient as possible, and yeah, just in general, like the the, the methods and honestly methodologies behind just like uh, kind of factory dubbing that was going on to really kind of uh r- really really kind of like uh meet the demand at the time.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of um throw like throwing a show into syndication, th- slapping together a crew and going okay, make the best of it. And <laughs> you you really don't see that as often now. You see a lot more like There are a lot more um, dedicated groups who have who have like decades of experience making an anime dub work and understanding their their audience, their marketing strategies. We just didn't have that in 1995.
0: Yeah, like uh, nowadays, there's an entire industry dedicated to like ensuring the sanctity of the product, both in the uh, subtitled version and the dub version as it makes its way over into an international market uh there, there is like a whole kind of infrastructure built into that now after like you know 20 years uh starting within the ni- within like the 80s up until the 2000s of just the wild west where yeah, we are, money we are talks not...
1: sorry sorry i was just gonna say we are not gonna get another ghost stories dub ever again
0: no we're not but the, it was it was a wild west where and like there was very little oversight and again money talked so the biggest bidder uh, who put down the most money on whatever anime series that they had no idea what it was about it just like they they knew this style and this product was hot so they just bought it on mass uh conscripted a bunch of companies to like hey make this americanized please quick and it resulted in the, what is now known as like the kind of Western anime fan base, but man, it, it was a rough go at it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of um, a lot of jelly donuts level translations going on here.
0: I'm I'm actually not going to give context to that. I I think people know what that is.
1: It's it's so... yeah, it's a, a well tread meme.
0: So yeah, as has uh, already stated, uh, we're going to be talking uh, just a bit about the uh, the Sailor Moon dub. Of course, Sailor Moon was created by Naoko Takeuchi and produced by At Toei Animation in 1992. It was based on uh, Takeuchi's ma- manga of the same name, and the first season was directed by uh, Junichi Sato. But fuck all that. We're not we're not talking about that. We're not that? we're not talking about we're not talking about the Toei Animation series. We are talking about the Deke dub. You know Deke, right?
1: I do. A uh, fun running joke for people who worked with Deke is that it stood for Do It Cheap, Do It In Canada.
0: Yep. So you know what you're kinda of getting into here. So the California-based animation company, it won the bidding war for the rights of Sailor Moon. They they knew a they knew a flagship series, or they thought they knew a, a flagship anime series at the time. And they in turn hired Optimum Productions, a Mississauga-based dubbing company, which was established in 1986. Uh, Their efforts, uh, if we can call them that, premiered on August 28th, 1995 on YTV, in Canada at least.
1: It it feels a little harsh to say their efforts. They dubbed 64 episodes of both the original series of Sailor Moon and Sailor Moon R. Between uh, July tenth and November third of nineteen ninety five.
0: So when we're saying that this was a hastily thrown together kind of production, uh, like the entire the entire ethos of dubbing at the time was, again, the, the Deke motto of do it cheap. Do it cheap. We're
1: not. We're
0: not. We're not lying. Like they had insane deadlines to hit for taking an entire series, which had a ready-made fan base in japan of what the series like who knew what the series was and just redo it like it's kind of insane how this was legal
1: (laughs) yeah because everyone was definitely working well beyond their 40 hour weeks in order to make every episode make the air date i think at one point they were basically working one week before air date on their schedule
0: And what a lot of people don't understand is that, like, uh, both dubbing and even translation work, it's not just a matter of, uh, you know, taking the words and, like, taking the context of the original series and doing it one-to-one. Especially not at the time when a lot of things had to get censored and a lot of things had to be recontextualized for a Western audience who may not understand certain Japanese ideas, terms, concepts. So, it. It wasn't just it wasn't just a translated script that they had to read off. It wasn't just a uh, a technique of matching uh, of matching like you know their script and their recorded vocals to the animation. It was a whole like from the ground up rewrite, recut, and reedit.
1: And I, I on top of that, I don't think that their recording studio had the um, had the blip system that a lot of dubbing companies use where, like, in order to help match your uh, your lip flaps, you have uh, a series of beep, 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 and right after the third beep, uh, the mouth will start moving and your line has begun, so it's a timing system. I don't think the studio had access to something like that. It was just watch the animation and do your best.
0: No, yeah, they were using a A method called RhythmoBand, which uh, was what they were using in the 1950s.
1: Holy shit.
0: So it's an intensive kind of pre production work uh, where like a dialogue was really literally written on film scripts for actors to read during ADR sessions.
1: Oh my god.
0: So this was actually a more expensive and less efficient way of recording the dialogue during syncing. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) like, again, this was a process, a process that no one was really prepared for. And again, imagine that you're like Optum Productions in, say, 90, was it 94 when they started working on this?
1: No, 95.
0: It was the same year of its premiere.
1: They were recording as it was airing.
0: So yeah, imagine it's a, it's 95 and you're just handed 40 episodes, well actually 49 episodes of a series and you just had to go. Because it was it was premiering later that year. Like, the stress that must have put on these people who were working with a series they had no context for, no idea for. It was just a job. It was just a paycheck for them.
1: Yeah, like, especially for... Um, a lot of my secondary information came from... Uh, there's a great ANN cast uh, interview with Roland Parliament, the director of uh, of the Sailor Moon dub, and also the voice of Melvin, um, where he, he sort of introduces his whole career he this was literally his first time dubbing like dubbing uh working with anime period and also his first time directing a narrative series his only directorial experience before sailor moon was commercial so like a lot of the major crew had no fucking clue what they were doing and it was just like a i don't know we gotta get it done
0: and i know we're looking at it from hindsight but this is sailor moon we're talking about one of the most popular anime's media properties ever produced within Japan, and they gave like they gave the responsibility of its international release to a first-time dubbing company and a first-time director.
1: Yep. he wasn't even the initial choice for the director. They had another director uh, hired, and then there were some scheduling conflicts, and she had to back out. He was the second choice.
0: Like, that's incredible. That is honestly amazing yeah. that nobody Nobody had respect. <laughs> no one had respect for the series that they were given. No one, obviously no one knew how long the anime uh, fandom, like, how the, the anime boon would last. Well, no the boon
1: hadn't even started at this point.
0: That's true, that's true. Like, uh, the boom really kind of started with Pokemon a couple years later, so... This was, like, setting the groundwork for what would become the television animation boom of the late 90s and early 2000s. So, again, nobody cared.
1: Absolutely not.
0: (laughs) So, I was going to ask, like, do you remember watching this series on YTV?
1: Yes. Uh, Not in 1995, because obviously I had just been born. (laughs) Wasn't big on Sailor Moon when I was seven months old. Um, They re-aired the uh, the series run in 1998, I want to say. So, I have distinct memories of watching it right before preschool every day. And I I loved it. I think they even aired, like, occasionally I could catch an episode as late as, like, 2003, maybe. no, two thousand two, uh, because I named my very first D and D character, uh, Star, because I had like this. I did not see Sailor Moon R, so I did not know that there were any Sailor Scouts beyond the uh, the inner ring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know about anyone past uh Jupiter, uh. So I had I had my own like little kid OCs, and sailor star was there and then when my dad was like hey do you want to play D?" i was like hell yeah my name is star what up <laughs> so it was like one of those little things that was just very important to seven-year-old me
0: yeah and like that, that's a testament to the fact that even even with the rough go that the uh localization went for and like the really slapdash production of of Optimum Deek respectively in trying to, you know, take the series and westernize it. Uh it still it still got a very strong response, uh at least in Canada and Australia, because yes. uh given to the fact that nobody gave a shit about anime at the time, no nobody who was in charge of television gave a shit about anime at the time or knew what a commodity they had. Uh, This was dumped into a very, like, early morning television slot in America and never reached an audience and failed miserably there.
1: Yeah. But yeah, in, like, in Canada and Australia, as you said, like, it reached such a wide audience that, like, I had cousins outside of my age group who remember it with such with such love and affection even though like they never became weebs later on but it's just like sailor moon was just this thing that was like a distant far off memory that they they absolutely loved i have an older cousin named darian who uh went as as uh for halloween as tuxedo mask for a few years because he thought it was hilarious <laughs> and like, what's great is that
0: that's that's a joke that doesn't play in japan at all because who the fuck is darian
1: who the fuck is darian Oh man, even as far as uh when I was at Laurier, I took a class on um on like Japanese cinema and there was like a whole uh on Japanese sci-fi specifically, and so there was a whole thing on we had a unit on anime and some other girl in the class who like was not a weeb, she was like I don't know if I wanna use the term prep, but she was like she was bubbly and, and popular. And she started talking about Sailor Moon and started talking about, like, oh, yeah, I remember, like, Serena and Darian. And this girl beside me, like, through gritted teeth, was just, like, Usagi oh, and Mamoru.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, fucking... come on. Get over. The get over yourself.
1: The gatekeeping that goes on for fucking weeb fans of Sailor Moon is hilarious.
0: Yeah, I mean, like. It's like those people who say, like, I don't watch uh, My Hero Academia, I watch Boko no Hero Academia. It's like, shut up.
1: It's like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> you're a weeb no matter what you're doing.
0: We're both watching the same show, and we we should be shamed for that alone, so. Yeah.
1: And, like, whether or not—this is, like, a, a broader conversation, but, like, I find the dub-sub argument to be so unnecessary and stupid— because like like my mother is visually impaired she cannot watch things with subtitles so dubs are fundamentally necessary to her being able to engage with media that is not in English and then the same thing can be said for like hearing impaired people can't watch something without subtitles so like even if we're talking about quality, who fucking cares? Even if it's not for you, someone else is gaining something from this existing.
0: Oh, yeah, I guess we should, uh, I guess we should qualify that is uh, the, the point of what this series is of Canada moving forward is not a anti-dub pro-sub stance, not at all. I mean, it's just looking at this specific aspect of the Canadian animation Landscape, and how important it was for bringing like television, like television animation popularity at the time. So yeah, watch whatever version of any anime you want. We don't care.
1: Yeah, watch watch what makes you happy. Unless you watch the sub of Yu Yu Hakusho, because what at that point you're just doing it out of spite.
0: We just said don't shame people for picking, and you're doing it. Now now you're doing it.
1: I, I I will shame people who watch the sub of Yu Yu Hakusho, show though. That's the only one.
0: you just you just called out someone from our university who was gatekeeping and now you're doing it.
1: <laughs> well yeah, but um Yoshiro Yoshihiro Togashi, the author of Yu Yu show, is married to Naoko Takeuchi. So
0: Yes the the anime manga power couple.
1: I love them so much. Have you ever seen like the little doodles that they would do of each other's characters in the margins of their manga?
0: I I love when like when these kind of couples get like within the manga or anime industry get to get together and like at the end of like whatever series they're doing, they do like a kind of personal diary ma- manga, which is mostly just them about complaining about their spouse. Yeah. Have you ever read uh completely off topic, but uh have you ever read uh Hideki Hideki Ano's wife uh I forget her name right now uh Moyoko Moyoko Ano? Yes. Uh, she did she did a manga of what it's like to live with Hideki Ano which is just her roasting him throughout the entire thing about how he's a big baby man.
1: <laughs> Amazing. I love that for her
0: and like so he's so you know like he's an anime director and his whole like her whole series about him is called insufficient direction
1: <laughs> oh that's amazing
0: so yeah <laughs> but i actually let's i guess get into what we're talking about here is so we watched an episode of Sailor Moon uh the the deke optimum productions dub uh specifically episode 30 i believe
1: so it's the one where Sailor Venus is finally officially part of the team.
0: So that, uh, that was originally aired in Japan, uh, November 28th, 1992 under the name, the shining silver crystal, the moon princess appears. And it, uh, it aired in Canada, October 10th, 1995 under the title, a crystal clear destiny. So
1: as far as the English titles of episodes go, that's not the worst.
0: No, not at all. I mean, a, it gets the point across it's uh it circles and it really pairs down like you know the long japanese title naming tradition so yeah it it all works i i I don't have a problem with that specifically
1: this is is a call-out post for we still do not know the name of the flower we saw that day
0: oh yeah oh yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) fucking sentence long titles
0: and not to be a, a huge evangelion we but it's it's also bad for that it's so bad. I, I'm sorry. I don't keep the, mean to keep injecting Evangelion. I'm working on like a, an essay for a website specifically on Evangelion, so I've just been—it's been on the brain forever. I'll stop. Don't. So
1: don't you dare. No,
0: I have to. I have to. So, uh, Crystal Clear Destiny. Uh, this is at the tail end of what would be, you know, quote unquote, the first season of Sailor Moon. So we are in the thick of a lot of juggling plot lines, and I realized watching this episode that I don't remember a fucking thing about Sailor Moon.
1: <laughs> you don't. You don't remember the like weird like b- battle duel between Zoocyte and Tuxedo Mask for the Rainbow Crystals.
0: No, no, I don't, because to me, what Sailor Moon was, it's, and it always was, it was like a, you know, middle school girl gets magical moon powers and fights a monster of the week. That's, that's what Sailor Moon was to me in my memory, and so the fact that we are thrown into the thick of what is the mounting narrative and mounting plot lines that have been worked through for the past 30 episodes, kind of like finally reaching something akin to a revelation and or climax i was lost
1: to be fair when we first uh were selecting an episode i offered the one where sailor jupiter first shows up and joins the team because she's my boo. and you were the one who was like nah nah we should get one later
0: because i i assumed naively that you know the whole team was there for the entire run of the series i mean this is really gonna piss off a lot of diehard Sailor Moon fans out there is that I'm completely out of my depth here and <laughs> not even trying to hide it
1: what a man does not have an in-depth knowledge of Sailor Moon heresy
0: yeah but I know a bunch of other like quote-unquote girl anime stuff that I shouldn't if I was you know more comfortable in my gender so <laughs> uh, what why did this one become a blind
1: real men watch princess too too they do they
0: do It's because it's a good series
1: slaps hard
0: okay so let's like just start talking about the like the decisions that had to be made on the on the part of uh uh, the deke dub so first and foremost uh new theme which absolutely slaps
1: still slaps it's still using the original melody and a lot of the original animation um which i don't know if you've seen the original uh the japanese op for sailor moon I have. it's it's so beautiful. I am happy that they use a, a couple of my favorite shots in in the Deke one like they get like it's this surreal ethereal fairy tale like uh opening, and they use a lot of the really good shots from it um but obviously, it's the nineties and it's North America, and we have to make it a little more peppy, a little less creepy, and ominous. And we have to have like those weird boxes with the neon flickering color outlines,
0: which just show clips from the show, because because you know that's what a that's what an intro to a show is like. They show clips from the show.
1: That's what a good OP does.
0: No, not not an OP, but like a, a
1: an intro, a,
0: an American cartoon and or television show is like yeah. we're we we do we're not going to shoot an original thing for the intro. We're just going to use clips from the show to yeah. pad it out.
1: But you had a whole
0: intro, you had a whole intro ready for you. So why do, why do the effort there?
1: I think the problem there is that the original intro is 90 seconds long. And most of the time, um, the American time slot, uh, for television, for children's television, especially we're in the post Reagan era, like kids TV is allowed to advertise a lot more to kids. So the advertisement time block is longer in America than it is in Japan. So they have to trim down as much as they can, and so the default is cut that opening down. We're talking twenty to thirty seconds for an op.
0: Yeah, that's that's a big thing. Is that uh, not only did they have to work around uh, a lot of pl- uh, a lot of plot lines that were not suitable or what they assumed were not suitable for children, but also completely different episode structure in terms of where the advertising breaks would come in. So every single episode had to be restructured because American cartoons and Canadian cartoons, the ad blocks go here and this is what the episode looks like. So work around that as best you can. We don't care. Just make sure that you don't eat into the commercial time.
1: Yeah. Whereas uh, it's really popular for, uh, for anime in, so Japan has like, you have one ad break in the middle of your episode and so that's where like the concept of the eye catch comes from. So like this mm-hmm. little halfway through the episode, you'll get like one maybe like it'll be, if you're if you're basic, it'll be like a little screenshot of or like some text fade to black, ad break, new page, uh, fade up, second half of the episode starts. And in North America, we're just like, what? No, we have four different ad blocks that we need to air during this time period we gotta add new points where it's storyline appropriate to fade out and ad break
0: yeah it's it's the third act it's a three act structure like as mandated by capitalism
1: <laughs> it's hell man
0: like think about that mid like mid eye catch of anime structure like all I can think about that with that specifically is the one from Gurren Lagann which is
1: oh they're so usually good
0: just an amazing kind of artistic rendition of the cast of characters, and that song, "Ro Row, Fight the Power.
1: Yeah, I don't even like Gurren Logan particularly, but I fucking love their eye catch.
0: It's so good. So, yeah, mo- moving forward, you mentioned the kind of, the way that they show the clips from the episode with those, that flickering kind of hyper-pop aesthetic, and I we get that right that- away, we get that right away with the recap box, oh, you know, for... <laughs> For the idiot Canadian viewers who don't know where, like myself, who have no idea what's going on,
1: I don't fucking know. And it what didn't help, by the way. Last week, I wasn't—I wasn't there last week, or I was three.
0: And it didn't help because we're we're essentially beginning in media res here, with all of all the plot lines kind of converging into the lead up to the ultimate climax. You know, ten episodes later, so there's a lot going on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like so, we just got Sailor Venus. Sailor t- or <laughs> Tuxedo Mask has just been tricked, but it's gonna happen again because he's still an idiot. Uh, we got Artemis and his weirdly like way too sexy voice for a fucking cat.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that is a gravelly kind of distinguished gentleman voice.
1: Yeah, like that is a. That is a fucking performance. I didn't. I did not think Ron Rubin.
0: Ron Rubin was the uh, voice of uh, Artemis. Yeah. yeah.
1: Like that is an acting decision that I do not condone.
0: It's memorable. You you got to give him that.
1: It sure is.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, as we were as we were talking about before, if we just want to talk, like get a bit into the voice cast, uh, mm-hmm. this uh, the characters are fourteen year old and fourteen year old, and everybody sounds like they're in their mid to late twenties. Yeah, like distractingly so, I'd say, because Serena specifically, as voiced by uh, Terry Hawks, is.
1: You had to think about that, Damn. didn't
0: you? No, I have, I have it in my notes.
1: Oh, I thought you were just mentally trying not to say Tony Hawk.
0: Oh yeah, it will happen eventually because Terry Hawk, Tony Hawk, and the Terry fact Hawks. that you spoke it, Terry Hawks, and the fact that you spoke it into the episode. Now it's 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 a, a a a sure thing but it's w- the way the the way that she approached the character serena is she doesn't period she doesn't approach the 14 year old well, character i think she's just using her regular voice
1: well there's part of it is like this is just her her default voice um but there's also a um a, a concerted effort to not sound canadian and that was part of the uh the problem with the dubbing was that Deke outsourced <laughs> this to a Toronto-based company, and Torontonians have a very specific kind of Canadian accent, um, and that's where the the concept of a boot comes from. And it's because I've uh-huh. noticed, like even I've noticed, Torontonians are more likely to like elongate the ou sounds, so like they'll say house about, um, and so Amer- the American ear hears that as hoose in a boot um and so the cast was very very abrasively told they needed to disguise their canadian accents and so what what it ends up being is like this very stilted occasionally it sounds like the hollywood accent from like the 40s where you had these american actors trying to sound like a little bit british when they would say lines because they thought that it sounded more neutral and proper, and so they have they have this. It it makes a lot of the performances, uh. Like it, it adds an extra layer uh, that the actors have to work around. Of you can't just sound like yourself.
0: Yeah, like you have to, you have to put all of your effort into quelling that Canadian accent. Even and that's though, a lot like, of pressure.
1: It It is! And, like, apparently at one point, um, the director had, like, a phone call from a producer where this woman was like, they sound too Canadian! This isn't, th- this is, this is bullshit! And he said, like, well, they are Canadian, like, it, w- we're all Canadian, it sounds right to our ears. And she said, and I quote, uh, It's not made for fucking Canadians. It's made for fucking Americans. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, the Deke producers were, like, violently opposed to the concept of Canadian accents.
0: And remember, this was a heavily constrained uh, time frame that they're working on. Like, to the point where a lot of the times... They weren't given the wiggle room for like multiple takes.
1: No, uh very famously Terry Hawks did one or two episodes in a solid one take. Like she just stood there and did the entire episode and that was it. Yep. That was she just did all of Sailor Moon's lines for a full episode and then was like, "Okay, cool, bring in the next person." Like it sounds Which, like utter hell.
0: And it, and I imagine it was. I I mean like that's that is a level of expectation for your actors that goes above and beyond what is like sustainable
1: yeah so like i'm i'm so fucking forgiving of literally any bad take or like weird performance decisions in dubs like this because it's like i don't know what you were going through that day fuck this is probably like the the two of two take That you had for this line.
0: More often than not, it's not the fault of the cast or or a specific actor. It's the fault of the production.
1: Mm -hmm. Like, this production alone is, is just a mess. The fact that, like, Deke was the one making all of the script changes. Like, I find that if anyone, even now, if, like, one American person knows that the original Sailor Moon dub was done in Canada, they immediately attribute all of the uh language like the linguistic changes all of like the bad decisions the name changes the censorship um the cutting out the cousinifying of the lesbians they attribute that to oh oh well then it's a canadian dub canadian dubs are bad it's like it wasn't their decision
0: no, they were they were the company for hire. Like they yeah. were literally just dropped, uh, you know, forty nine episodes of a flagship anime series, and said, "Make it for American audiences, not Canadian audiences, American audiences." Yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, we could probably get into some of like the necessary, quote unquote, necessary cuts and decisions that had to be made, and like alterations. Like a lot of the character names uh, are just changed completely because Japanese names would just not gel I guess for Canadian uh Canadian and American audiences
1: Our tiny Canadian brains just can't handle the concept of someone named Usagi
0: Yeah so Usagi is Serena um uh, Mamoru
1: <sighs> is Tuxedo Mask um, Yes Ray is the only one who just remains <laughs> She's she's still just Ray
0: <laughs> Cuz it works by the way uh like Makoto is Lena Lita rather oh. Um, ami is amy which makes sense
1: yeah and mina oh yeah minako just becomes mina
0: yeah so like so, some make more sense than the others but again they just had to change it as best they could and yeah. that, that was again that was that was mandated by deke productions definitely yeah. it's like could you try and like Americanize these uh
1: yeah and like that's happened in, that's happened in other um in other anime dubs, specifically ones for children, like, Mm -hmm. um, Tokyo Mew Mew underwent a similar thing where like, Ichigo becomes, um, Zoe, I think is the, it's a very early 2000s dub. (laughs) The, the moment the name Zoe appears is just like, what the fuck?
0: Yeah. So this is a widespread practice across this, uh, cottage industry of anime dubbing. So like, like, there's like,
1: Yu-Gi-Oh! i was like yesterday years old when i realized that joey wheeler isn't his actual name
0: i forget what it is but I, mostly because uh, jo- like joey wheeler is just a great name
1: jonoichi
0: jonoichi the yeah. brooklyn born jonoichi
1: <laughs> joey wheeler
0: like my, my current uh twitter name right now is jo- joey wheeler but as a film critic seriously it is
1: oh my god i've never respected you more <laughs>
0: So, yeah, in addition to a lot of the name changes, there's also a a lot of violence that had to be cut uh, because despite the fact Sailor Moon was targeted towards a young, like young women audience, uh, it still had a lot of both violence and sexuality and a lot of uh, progressive uh, queer representation, too, which that all had to go.
1: Has to go. Like, um, even, the episode that we watched is, I I was very happy that this was the one we chose, um, when I realized that Zoocite is a major character in this episode. Um, because Zoocite and, uh, Kunzite are, like, they are canonically a couple, like, they fuck, but originally they are both men. And that couldn't happen. We can't have, have the men's doing the love and the having roses uh so they lucked out because this is a shoujo manga so even the male characters are like a little androgynous in in their figure and so like they could they were able to look at zoocyte who's a lot more feminine presenting and be like just cast a woman problem solved
0: yeah more or less and and that's interesting because because then that's a whole kind of uh There's like that opens up the door for like a specific trans reading of the character, but regardless, that was mandated. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But regardless, that was mandated. uh, That's quite literally any, any inkling of a character being gay had to be excised from the script.
1: The the cousinifying of, of Sailor Uranus and Neptune in Sailor Moon R. is like, I don't, I don't want to hear anyone coming for the Canadian cast because that was a mandate from California that they were just forced to go along with like they
0: uh, specifically with the dubbing companies, like they didn't have any control over this. I I mean, in other situations of a different series, wherein the dubbing was handled in-house by the company that bought it. Yes. That was, you can absolutely blame that specific company, but optimum productions, like they, they just got the contract and do what you can with the notes coming from California.
1: Yeah. And like from the, you know, it's made for fucking American story. Like, if that's any indicator, they were dealing with a lot of hostility from California. Like, they were they were working under these tense situations, and then also ha- having the director was having screaming matches with some producer, you know, seven hours away.
0: Which is, I like, like, I understand, I guess, because uh, th- like, getting the Sailor Moon license was the result of a. Very competitive bidding war, which God knows how much Deke put down like to secure the rights to sailor Moon like we don't know those numbers and probably never will, but if we were to look at like nineteen ninety you know three ninety ninety four money it was probably a lot
1: presumably like if the a d v uh one million dollar purchase of evangelion is anything thing to go off of it they probably paid a lot.
0: Or, or if it's a, I was going to specifically make a joke about how much money put, how much money Netflix put down for my favorite anime, Seinfeld, but I couldn't (laughs) find the number. So that joke is just, uh, 500 million.
1: 500 million.
0: Yeah, the, the, the rights to broadcast Seinfeld, the, the best anime. Damn. The localization of Seinfeld was a, an arduous journey. So many New Yorkisms that had to be changed for international audiences.
1: You're right. Man, we should just go back to the silent era where all you have to do is translate the title cards.
0: I mean, that was a lot easier.
1: <laughs> right?
0: And because everything was done with title cards, it's like specific actions and direct dialogue only. Exactly. So, yeah, and with this episode, um, not, not an episode of Seinfeld, the episode of Sailor Moon that we're talking about, um, so a, a lot of also that you notice from uh, the dialogue here is not only the w- not only in that kind of like anime dubbing way where a lot of information is pushed into a small amount of screen time just to make sure that all the important details get crossed and get across and again make sure all the syncing works out in the end, but there's a lot of uh, '90s slang that is put put in here.
1: Yeah, I honestly the- that just that just endeared me to it more.
0: I mean, that's the treasure trove of working, uh, going back and watching a dub from a specific time period. Is like, man, like American audiences, Canadian audiences, international audiences, they they don't get specific Japanese terms, but man, they'll, they'll understand "slime meister."
1: Oh my god, it's so good.
0: <laughs> that that's a word that will never that that translate easily across all possible boundaries.
1: I mean, I feel like if you understand what the the words themselves are the tone sets it across very nicely
0: sure sure it's a <laughs> and uh darian's uh affectionate term for serena is meatball head
1: which as we've we've discussed does come from the fact that he calls her dumpling head in the original
0: so yeah that that's that's just an example of them working the best they can to Uh, work with what they got uh, and translate it as best as they can because, you know, American audiences have never seen a dumpling in their life, so they wouldn't know.
1: Well, yeah, especially like this is at the time where it's like Japanese food, that's weird! Ew! Ew! Meanwhile, those those same kids are like chowing down on some sushi right now as we speak, guaranteed.
0: I, I mean... If I remember correctly, sushi was a running punchline in, like, American media from, like, the the early 80s up until, like, the mid-2000s. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Like,
0: even, and it was only exasperated by the, uh, George H.W. Bush vomiting incident.
1: Oh, I'd forgotten about that.
0: You know, he, he sat down with the Prime Minister of Japan at the time, uh, Miyazawa, and ate some sushi, and had a very bad reaction and vomited on the prime minister of Japan.
1: Well, that's because he's weak.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so that really kind of solidified in the minds of Americans that if you eat raw fish from Japan, it's bad for you. And you know what? Fuck you, George H.W. Bush, for a lot of things. But sushi's delicious, so how dare you tarnish its reputation?
1: Yeah, like, honestly, just fuck his body for having that reaction. Like, that's on him.
0: Yeah, that that's on him, and like, honestly, that's the least of his controversies, but you know what? We, you know what? This sushi's delicious. And it, and yeah, sushi's delicious, and it didn't deserve that. No. I'll, I'll overlook a lot of the war crimes you did in the CIA, but you badmouth sushi?
1: <laughs> You'll overlook war crimes? Yes, yes, I will. Fuck, now I want sushi.
0: Now I want war crimes. Anyway. <laughs> so, just, just to circle back to like, what exactly happens in this plot here. Um, something about crystals. Something about the Negiverse merging the with the, pr- the rainbow crystals. And something about the Negiverse, uh uh-huh. merging with our current reality because they have all the uh, rainbow crystals.
1: Yes. But then all the rainbow crystals converge into the silver crystal.
0: And Darian is revealed to Serena as Tuxedo Mask. And Serena is revealed to Darian as... Sailor Moon and this is probably like a, this is probably a huge moment for fans of the show but
1: oh shit spoiler warning we should have <laughs> spoiler warning for late stage Sailor Moon <laughs> Serena is Sailor Moon
0: <laughs> That's that's literally in the English le- lyrics of the of the theme song I
1: I don't I don't think you understand
0: So in addition to a, a lot of like We didn't get many examples of, uh, like, sexuality and nudity being cut out of this series, but we did get violence being cut out in that Darian does not get stabbed by these alien overlords from the Negaverse. He, in a series of suggestive cuts, kind of falls over.
1: Yeah, and there's, like, a little bit of red on Serena's hand when she touches his shoulder, and she's like, BLOOD?!
0: I also a great line there is that when she smacks him on the back, after recognizing to recognize him like, Hey, there's a bee on your back. Like that's a dub joke.
1: That is absolutely a dub joke. It's like, they definitely don't want children to like gr- start greeting each other by slapping them on the back. Like that was definitely something that in a writer's room, they were like, Oh no, this is, this is behavior that children could replicate. There,
0: there was, there was also another one where it's like, a. Uh, when they're in that Negaverse castle and it's starting to collapse, they, uh, they get into an elevator and Serena says, like, aren't you supposed to take the stairs during an emergency? Yeah. And again, there, there, was, there was no attempt, like, there's no shot of her mouth saying this. It was just like, oh, shit, we need to, this is a bad sign to kids. We need to make sure that they understand that you need to take the stairs during an emergency, not an elevator. So yeah. fucking record that quick.
1: Because, like, this is absolutely not the kind of show, like, because of their extremely tight recording schedule, this isn't the kind of show where I imagine a lot of, like, joke takes or anything happened. Like, this isn't, uh, this isn't, like, in Glass Fleet when, like, Travis Willingham and Laura Bailey were dating and they were also playing the romantic leads, so whoever came in first was just leave an extra track of jokes to try and crack the other one up like we don't have time for that where we're one and done
0: and this is also not like uh the famous viral clip of the cast of thundercats uh just completely going off script and just badmouthing the series and breaking you've seen that video right i have time was money for the people at optimum production so
1: they they didn't have time my all-time favorite dub outtake is from black butler with uh j michael tatum Going, and now a dirty limerick. There once was a woman from Q her filled who filled her vagina with glue. She said with a grin, if they pay to get in, they'll pay to get out of it too. And it perfectly matches the lip flaps. Like, without fail. And
0: I think you've shown me that.
1: I probably have. I show a lot of people that. <laughs> it's fucking funny. But yeah, like we we don't have time for fun and games. Everyone is like here and dedicated to doing their recording and getting out of here so that the next crew can come in and record.
0: Yeah, like, here, here is the script. Here is the time that we have in the recording studio. If it doesn't get done, we're in trouble.
1: And that's why my all-time favorite line from this episode is Terry Hawks going, like, it's a mental line, so she doesn't have any lip flaps to match. Just, oh my god, Darian's tuxedo mask, I can't believe it. Because that's the sort of thing that I would absolutely say, like, oh, this was a joke take, and it cracked everyone up so much that they just, they let it slide, they left it in. I don't know what happened, but that was definitely, like, the only take, and they were like, we don't have, I, Terry, you're hilarious. We don't have time for this.
0: And remember, that was a major plot point in the series.
1: Yeah, like, her realizing That she's known Tuxedo Mask this whole time? That's a big moment.
0: Their entire kind of relationship dynamic of who is the other one revealed in episode 30. And it's just the most monotone kind of acceptance. Like, ah, that's nice.
1: Ah, he's Tuxedo Mask. Rad.
0: So... Yeah, I guess we should apologize for not actually, like, you know, getting into the specifics of the plot, but that's not what Canada is about. It's more about no. talking about the, the impression of the work that was put into localizing the series and how, like, and, and the, the role that Canada played in the what is now known as the late 90s, early 2000s anime television boom. Uh, one final note, though, and we'd be remiss if we didn't, talk about it sailor, uh, moon, sailor moon uh, the, says the deke optimum production says... <laughs> that w- so i guess it was just mandated is that every yes. kid's cartoon had to have a disconnected moral at the end of the show
1: not everyone but definitely sailor moon did as sort of like a justification for its very existence i am under the impression that literally no one cast or crew gave a single solitary fuck about Sailor Moon says. (laughs) They were just like, yeah, we were told to do this, so just get it out of the way and then we can go on with our fucking lives.
0: Hilariously, though, the lesson here is uh, be aware of your surroundings when you run too fast and the way that they the way that they present that to the audience is look at Darian from this episode. He got stabbed stabbed because he wasn't he got stabbed by the evil aliens because he wasn't paying attention. So you should look both ways when you cross the road.
1: <laughs> all I could think of when we were watching that was my my brain went to just a different place and where it goes is Muppet Treasure Island. And I just thought of the, the Billy Bones. Aye, and don't run with scissors or any other pointy objects. It's all great fun until someone loses an eye. And I just live in that moment. And I think I was much happier for it.
0: So yeah, I go to uh, the Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon. Uh, the, the Sonic says, and one of them was, don't get into a dryer.
1: I like my a
0: Don't crawl into a dryer, you idiot child.
1: You idiot child. Granted, I definitely did need to be told that that would kill me because it looks like fun. You know what? That's fair. Yeah. That's like the kids needed to be told not to climb into a refrigerator.
0: Hmm, Yeah, that
1: was that was a whole ass thing in the eighties. It's just hey, don't.
0: But it's so. Uh, but it's summer. It's hot, and I and I want to be cooled. Fuck exactly. you. Exactly.
1: You can't tell me what to do.
0: So Sailor Moon says was like a again a mandated kind of message that, and and probably a. a unnecessary to like kind of pad out the ending of these episodes
1: yeah because it's not like they were using the original end sequence either
0: no not at all so uh, they needed to fill time and this was just a like a quick couple of clips that related to the moral usually sourced from the episode itself and uh terry hawks just just getting into the studio and quickly recording a moral that was probably thought up in like five seconds before she went on the mic
1: yeah, just like, oh, what was the conflict of this episode? Stabbing? Cool. Don't look both ways, kids.
0: Like, there's so, there's there probably so many, like, uh, specifically about just broad concept. Like, I'm looking at kind of like a playlist right now.
1: Oh, is there a playlist uh, of Sailor Moon Says?
0: Yes, there is. Uh, there's one on pollution, there's one on jealousy, there's one on vanity.
1: Oh my god, amazing.
0: Yeah, so like, just 30 seconds at the end of every episode, just fill time. Just add a moral yeah. topic to, maybe relate to the episode, maybe not. It's usually about self-improvement, just a PSA. So and then that... just
1: add this deeply 90s background border to it.
0: So here are a couple here. Um, believe in yourself. Uh huh. Daydreaming is rad.
1: Oh, hell yeah!
0: Eat food, you beautiful bastards. <laughs> Have more patience. School is cool. Hey, now you're an all-star. Where it's going to walk right over that one.
1: Get Pollution is
0: not the solution. Use teamwork because teams work.
1: Uh, teamwork makes the dream it... work, Serena. Come on.
0: No, 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 no. no. That's, that's not the Canadian version. Uh, doing it right. I don't that's know what that means. to
1: do the right thing.
0: Recycle. You're beautiful. Look deeper Uh, than looks.
1: Yeah. um, Life life is is full full of blows. blows.
0: (laughs) You are not a loser. Thank you. Old people are hard to deal with. Hey.
1: I mean, uh, I want to call you out because before we started recording, you did in fact say that you're a loser.
0: Well, I am, but like, I don't need Sailor Moon telling me that.
1: Uh, I, I'm glad
0: th- I babies do punch back. So get the first shot in, I guess. I don't know what that one's about.
1: If you come for the King, you better not miss.
0: And of course, sailor says 48 eat food.
1: Eat food.
0: Sailor says, eat food.
1: Eat punt.
0: So there you go. That is, uh, I guess what will constitute our conversation on the dub of sailor moon as we remember it and experienced it. Um, I guess let us know if moving forward with these episodes, you want us to continue it. Uh, We're trying to work out what would be kind of like a side series or just like a separate idea to our, you know, canon episodes of Cartoon Night in Canada.
1: Uh, If you happen to know Terry Hawks personally, uh, reach out to her and see if she wants to come on and talk about the sailing moon. I talked to Terry Hawks for an hour.
0: Did you read the thing about her? Like, uh, apparently she's getting her, uh, PhD right now.
1: Fuck! Good for her!
0: Yeah, she got an MA in Gender Feminist and Women's Studies and is currently working on a doctorate in Gender, gender Feminist and Women's Studies at York University. I she, love she's her! She's Toronto.
1: Okay, and you're in Toronto. Make it happen, Chris!
0: Yeah, let's see, uh, her MA, uh, this is just weird ephemera to the episode, uh, her MRP was called "Theatrical Rep- Representations of Motherhood: Performances of Mother Subjects, Breastfeeding Practices on and Off Stage."
1: That sounds amazing. I want to find that. Yeah, read so there that. you go. A
0: nice little, pl- a nice little plug for uh, Terry Hawk's <laughs> MRP. <laughs> thesis? Her 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 stint in academia as of today. So good for her.
1: Okay, but seriously, I want to read that now. <laughs>
0: I'm sure it's not hard to find. I mean, the the way that York University works is that all of, all, all of the kind of MRPs are, and PhD like, dissertations are kept on archive on the website, I believe. So. Okay. So thank you again for listening to this uh, aside series of Cartoon Night in Canada. We are, as of now, calling Canada up. Uh, if you'd like to... If you'd like to leave us a nice review on your podcatcher of choice, uh, please do that. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Cartoon Night Pod. God damn it. I I never put it in the show notes, and I don't know why I don't do that. Maybe because we... Would...
1: Maybe God, it because we should know our own at.
0: Yeah, I know my at, which is uh, CinemaCreep. At CinemaCreep, if you want to give us me a follow on t- Twitter...
1: And I also know my at, which is uh, Sylvie Skeletons at Twitter or TikTok.
0: All right. Thank you. And take care. Bye.